Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 3a. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I will give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, junior leaders today. Thanks, everybody, for what you have done to get us ready for today. Just a couple of words very briefly. Uh, I, everybody is aware that the, that the Omicron virus is now taking hold. You may be asking yourself, uh, what, what are we going to do now? Well, here, here's what we're going to do. We want to, again, uh, encourage you encourage you, uh, beg you to get vaccinated. We will also continue to host those vaccination clinics here. We have asked for and gotten some financial assistance. We can keep doing that. We would encourage you to get double vaccinated and get boosted. That seems to be working really well out there. People who have been double vaccinated and boosted seem to be doing well where where the virus is concerned. Now, What happens if somebody at your house comes down with COVID-19? Then please don't come. Please enjoy what we are doing uh, on the live stream. We have decided we're going to make that a permanent part of who we are. We're going to have a digital congregation, even going to have somebody understand himself or herself as a digital pastor with responsibility, all that kind of stuff. So if someone at your house has COVID-19, then please, please don't come. If somebody at your house is sick and you're not, you haven't had time yet to get tested, you don't not sure whether or not, but you feel fine, and it doesn't seem like it. Like at my house, I won't tell you who, but one, one of the people at my house uh, is ill right now. Her name is Kelly, and she got tested. She test came back negative, but, you know, I'll probably wear the mask throughout the hallways and, and just to, you know, just to be safe. So, like I said last week, we are, we are going to try to thread the needle around here, which means that we're going to try to continue to meet together because we, I still think that's important, while also being super, super attentive where the virus is concerned. And if it changes, it changes, and we'll let you know. But at this point, we feel like the best part of wisdom is to encourage people and to facilitate people to be vaccinated, to encourage people to stay home and, and enjoy the live stream if somebody at your house is sick. And if you have a question, just wear the mask, because here at OKC First, masks are always welcomed. So there you have it, and I'll let you know if any of that changes. Guys, we're only about 80 some odd days before the baseball season starts. Amen. (laughs) Now, that is assuming uh, that they get this whole labor stoppage thing worked out. Because right now, we've got a lockout. The owners have locked out the players, and and there is no no, uh, guarantee that we are going to have a 
a season yet, or at least that it would start on time, and I'm, I'm heartbroken about it because there's a lot about baseball that I like. I was not built for baseball, but I really love baseball. I think my son, who ended up being built like a basketball player, I think his first joy and first love might have been baseball as well. We love baseball around our house, the Conways. Yep, we have some, some uh, kindred spirits back there at the Conways. Just love, love some baseball. In fact, just quick shout out if you'd like to watch one of our own play a little collegiate baseball. Our friend Mason Conway is playing for SNU. So, yeah, we'll come see you, Mason. Um, that's going to be fun. One of the things I like are, are like the phrase, just the language that surrounds baseball. Here's one of the phrases that you hear every year it is, Hope Springs Eternal. Ah, I love it. Everybody says it sometime during February when pitchers and catchers report. And pitchers and catchers report, believe it or not, during the winter. And that's why you have so many spring training exercises out in places like Arizona or Florida. So hope springs eternal, which means this, that every team before the season starts has an equal chance to win it all. Not really, but it, still, it seems like every chance Every team has an equal chance to win it all. It is also on the lips of minor leaguers everywhere. Minor leaguers. There are tens of thousands of minor league baseball players. There are 206 minor league baseball teams that are just affiliated with major league teams, like a part of their farm system. And then you have all kinds of independent leagues that aren't necessarily affiliated with uh, a major league franchise. And in some of those cases, baseball is a part-time job. They have other full-time jobs so they can eat and put food on the table. Sometimes, like in the Cape Cod League, in the Cape Cod League, which happens in the summers, the baseball players that come to play in the Cape Cod League actually stay with families in the Cape Cod area. So it's not always a glamorous life, but they all have this dream. Someday, I will be where the lights our brightest. Someday I will be called up. I love. Now, uh, there is a lot. I, I miss going to the Little League baseball games. I miss going to the, to the games where the people are their smallest because there is high comedic potential. Anytime tiny kids are playing baseball. Take, for example, this electric scene. There is a young man who has been on third base, but it looks like he is going to be walked home and he is going to make this journey home just as dramatic as he possibly can. This is not actually in slow motion. He is in slow motion. <laughs> he is choosing to make this a moment. Now watch, in a minute here, the coach will come and say, son, uh, you need to hurry up and get home because, <laughs> because it's going to get dark here before too long. Come on, come on now. Come on, huh? It's like, nah, this is my moment. Get out of here. You don't know who's, get off of me. <laughs> I've got a dramatic moment in my future. It's going to be splashed all over the papers. It's going to be, come on, buddy, get to that home plate. Come on. You better slide. You never know. You better get in. Yes. <laughs> One of my favorite clips, and I hope to have some more of those for us. And I hope to have some clips for us, too, uh, of different baseball movies. There are some really good ones out there, some that I absolutely cannot show you. Uh, you will not see any clips from Bull Durham. Amen. But some other really good movies. Uh, for one, I really like this movie, and my friend Ben Felder really helped me with this. There's a story of Jim Morris in the movie called The Rookie. Now, Jim Morris was a baseball player, 
like a really good baseball player, could throw the ball really hard, which all the major league teams are really fascinated by. When you can throw the ball really hard, then they pay attention to you. Or he was one of those guys. And then he tore up his shoulder, throwing the ball really hard. And his dream was gone. And his dad seemed to say, yeah, son, give up on that dream. Go get yourself a real job. And became a point of tension between Jim and his dad, that his dad was so quick to give up on the dream. But he did kind of give up on the dream. In fact, he became a baseball coach in Texas. And the Owls, the team that he was uh, coaching, the Owls weren't very good. Turns out he was in a city that thought a whole lot more of football than baseball. And so he had to do a lot of coaching and coaxing to try to get people interested in baseball, much less to get the, the Owls to a place where they were any good. But then the Owls, his kids, started to realize that, man, this is not just any coach. This guy can throw the baseball. And so they started to talk to him about, hey, you, you really need to go try out again. He says, kids, I'm 34 and then 35 years old. That's not a great time to start a career in baseball. They actually made a deal with him. It went something like this. Okay, coach, if we win district, then you have to go try out somewhere. If we win district, then you have to go to the nearest place where they're hosting a tryout, a major league team, and you have to try out. Well, guess what? The Owls won district. And so they said to him, now, coach, you got you to gotta kind of live up to your end of the bargain. You need to go find a tryout. And he did. And he went and tried out. And sure enough, that 98-mile-an-hour fastball had returned. And the Tampa Bay Rays were interested. And they assigned him to a double-A affiliate, so over the summer, so between the academic years, over the summer he was given it a shot. And he went from double-A to triple-A, and then he got this call. Jimmy. Go ahead and close the door. Jimmy, I just got off the phone with the big club. They're calling up Brooks. It's great. He won't be back. He respects you, and I thought you might want to be the one to tell him. Sure. Things that you're going to. They're calling me up. Till you fly out of here tonight, you catch up with the team tomorrow. Where? Well, they're on the road right now. In Texas. I highly recommend it. If you're a baseball fan or if you like stories like that, you will like that movie. Now, it turns out his dad still wasn't super supportive. So he had this big dream to be called up to the big leagues, and his dad still wasn't super supportive, at least not just yet. And I know that some of you have had similar experiences, perhaps with parents or other leaders, and I'm sorry about that. 
I did not have that experience with my parents. For better or for worse, I was encouraged to believe that anything was and still is possible. I'm still plotting my major league debut here at some point, my mid-50s. But I need to ask you, what are your experiences of, of God? Do you experience God as encouraging you to do, to try, to achieve anything? Or is God for you the constant critic who is more likely to tell you what you can't and perhaps shouldn't do? Well, welcome to the season of Epiphany. The season of Epiphany, as you all know, follows the seasons of Advent and of Christmas, but Epiphany has its own ethos. We're going to talk about certain things during Epiphany that we might not talk about at any other point during the year. And, and here, if Advent is about hopeful anticipation and expectation and the ache that things aren't yet the way they're supposed to be, Epiphany is this. Epiphany is the wow, is the wow of all of the different Christian seasons. And here's what I mean by the wow. We are shocked to see where it is that God shows up. We are shocked to see all the different places that God shows up. Well, we're going to have to do something about those chords right there. That's going to be a thing. We are shocked to believe that God would actually use us in the process of showing up. As it turns out, Epiphany is launched by this story that's very familiar to all of us, the story of the Magi, the wise men, who come from way outside of the Christian tradition. I'm way outside of the Christian tradition. Matter of fact, these people who come looking for Jesus are more closely uh, aligned with astrologers than they are God-fearing believers. So I kid you not, these folks examine the heavens. They probably all knew their zodiac signs. They probably all checked the papers for what that day was gonna be like according to the horoscope in the paper. This is the kinds of people who came to Herod and said, we have been looking at the stars, and the stars tell us something about this one who would be born king of the Jews. And we're so convinced by it, and we're so convicted by it, that we actually brought gifts to shower upon the new king. Turns out, God can speak astrology. Wow. <laughs> now, Herod receives this, sends his own scholars looking, and they find some scriptural evidence to back up what these magi had said. And so Herod lies out loud and he says, I tell you what, why don't you go find this Christ child, come back and tell me exactly where I can find him, and I'll come worship him myself. When actual, in all actuality, what he wanted to do is go kill off the competition, right? And so the magi go and they do find Jesus. They follow the star. So maybe part astrology, maybe part astronomy. They follow the star, and sure enough, they are able to find Jesus and Joseph and Mary, and they make good on their promises to give up these incredible gifts worthy of a king. Guys, it shouldn't be lost on us that God spoke to these magi within their frame of reference, which was astrology. Wow. Wow. Now, also, God speaks through dreams. Because when they went to bed that night, they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod and to go home by a completely different route. And so they did. And so apparently, God is not bound 
by our expectations of the languages that God should speak, and all God's people said. So God can speak astrology. God can speak astronomy. God can speak political power. God can even speak dream to get God's point across. And that's where all God's people should say, wow, wow. God is in the business of being manifested everywhere. And that's where we come in. Because as it turns out, the season of Epiphany is also a time when we say, oh wow, God is going to show up in all of these different corners of the planet, and sometimes God will show up when I show up. When I am putting, when we are putting skin and flesh on the welcome and the hospitality of God, not just here at church, but also at work, also at home. Wow, God is smart. Our God is really smart, able to speak all the languages, and today on the first Sunday of Epiphany, better known as Baptism of the Lord Sunday, the other passages that I was given today tell us more about our God. For example, Psalm 29 tells us that God is huge, (laughs) big and strong, so big and strong that all of nature knows who's boss. And then, familiar story in Luke chapter 3, the voice of God booms and splits the heavens, announcing the very ministry of Jesus as the very Son of God. Wow. Wow. Epiphany is the season of wow. But is that it? Not that that's not good. It's good to be reminded that God is both smart and strong, but is there anything else? What else might there be for us today? Isaiah 43 that you heard read very well already today has something else for us. And friends, I would submit to you that it's at least as good, if not better, than the reminder that God is both smart and strong. But in order to get the right context for Isaiah 43, we need to backtrack a little bit to Isaiah 42. In fact, let me give you some more background, contextual information. The exile has happened. In fact, it's happened a couple of times. The exile, I don't know how else you describe it, I don't know how else Jason would describe it, but the darkest chapters in the story of the people of God. In fact, punishment is a word that comes to mind. The exile is absolutely punishment. In fact, I would say this to you, the the exile is evidence that God can get really angry. Now that's not a word that we like to put on God very often, but you can't read scripture faithfully and not see at times the brimming anger of God. This is important for the good place that we're gonna end up today you need to know that it starts in a very scary place. I won't call it a bad place. I will call it a scary place. God is angry. Isaiah 42, verse 24. Who gave up Jacob, which is a nickname for Israel, who gave up Jacob to the spoiler, Israel to the robbers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned, in whose ways they would not walk, and whose law they would not obey? Verse 25, so he poured upon him the heat of his anger and the fury of war. It set him on fire all around, but still Israel did not understand. It burned Israel, but still Israel did not take it to heart. 
it's, it's one thing to be wrong. It's another thing to be wrong and be stubborn about it. You ever see that? Our ancestors were wrong and super committed to their wrongness. <laughs> Deeply committed, convicted that they should live in opposition to God and the purposes of God. Is it any wonder that God is angry? God is angry. There's no way around it. We've heard from the voices of Isaiah and the other prophets, the people, God's people, God's people, they earned these exiles. The punishment of all punishments. They'd chosen other gods, everyone. They'd chosen their nation instead of their gods. Whew. Step back away from that one, John. They'd chosen other ways of life. They'd abandoned their calling to be the embodiment of God's heart, nature, and character. And they'd marched into exile. The people had failed. I mean, I think we can say that the people had absolutely earned God's anger. So now what? And the now what, then, should be considered to be a question not just for them, but for us, right? Because I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I see a believer out there who seems to be making choices in opposition to the love and grace of God. I, in fact, let me say it like this. I see reasons for God to be angry even today. Anybody else? Maybe even at the guy who's looking straight back at me in the mirror. You ever do something that probably ought to make God mad? This week? <laughs> this morning? <laughs> Heard that testimony, folks, that it was a real struggle to get here today. I nearly killed a child. <laughs> Not saying the child didn't, you know, anyway. So what will God do now? What, what will God do to and for and with the people who have earned the anger of God. Watch this. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. And you know what? I'm willing to say this. Given all that we have read, and not just in chapter 42, but all the stuff that leads up to chapter 43, Israel does in fact earn God's anger. Maybe one of the most important words in all of Scripture is the first word in Isaiah 43.1, and it is but. But. This God is not like other people. There are some people out there who, once you earn their anger, here's what you get, their anger. There are some people out there, please don't point, but maybe there are even people in the room who keep score. God help us. If people who are supposed to be flying the flags of faith if the people who are supposed to be wearing the colors and the symbols of faith, God help us if we're scorekeepers. Because in reality, 
in honesty, we should come up on the short end of that score ledger every time, right? This God is different. Remember, the woman caught in the act of adultery was in fact caught in the act of adultery. Remember, Zacchaeus did not quarrel with whether or not he was guilty. He owned it. He admitted it. I have cheated people out of their stuff. Remember, right in front of Jesus, Simon Peter fails and then fails again. And just to make sure we all understood it, he failed again. So you can earn God's anger and God can still say, but now. But now. Read from a guy this week named Klaus Westermann, who says it like this. A tiny, miserable, and insignificant band of uprooted men and women are assured that they, precisely they, are the people to whom God has turned in love. They, just as they are, are dear and precious in his sight. And think who says this, the Lord of all powers and authorities of the whole of history and creation. Now hear me, because some of you are, are now you're, you're concerned. Oh, okay, this is what makes me nervous about you, John, and about this church. It seems like you, what you were saying is, we can do whatever we want, and everything's okay. That is not at all what I'm saying. Did I not just say that the people are returning from exile? I'm not saying that you won't march into your own exile. I'm not saying that there's not punishment. In fact, let me say it like this. Yep, there is. I have seen them. I know them. Some of you are in the room. You have marched into your own exile. And what you need right now is not a reminder that exile is a thing, not that punishment is a thing. You know that. What you need to know is that God's still capable of saying, but now. Friends, <laughs> God is still capable of but now. When you pass through the waters, God says, I know you did all that stuff. I know you did. I know you've suffered. I know you've suffered. In fact, chapter 40 will say, you've suffered double. But now, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Verse three, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now, these words are difficult. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. Wait a minute, God, I thought you loved everybody. Verse four, because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you, I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Now listen, this sounds terrible. I need to remind us to continue to allow this prophecy to function as art and poetry. God is saying again what God has already said, that God has chosen one people to be God's people, and then through this chosen people, God would reach all the peoples, including Egypt and Ethiopia and Seba. It's not that those nations don't matter. It's that God is sticking with the choice already made to reach those nations by being embodied by Israel. God is keeping the covenant even though Israel earned God's anger, punishment, and exile. But now. But now, because of grace, 
there was for Israel a new future. A new future was now available and possible in Isaiah 43 and you all in 2022. The God who still says, but now, makes available to us, and some of you are walking testimonies to this fact, that the God who still says, but now, makes a new future available and possible. God still has more to say. He says, do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Allow me to make you nervous just for a few more minutes before we end with a really good clip. I'm concerned that we, capital W, Christendom, let's say, the church, not just OKC first, and not just the Church of the Nazarene, but I, I am concerned that the church right now is wandering into exile. If you take Jason's class, one of the things that will strike you about the run-up to the exile will be the posture of the believing people of God as they made decisions that caused them to wander away from God, wander away from obedience, wander away from faith. What might strike you as it strikes me is that we, we perhaps are making some of those same decisions again. What will the church look like? Yeah, okay, see first, Church of the Nazarene, all of Christianity. What will it look like 10 years from now? I don't know. I would submit some things probably need to change. I would submit that there is at times some distance between Christ and the body of Christ, and we probably ought to get busy confessing that difference so as to close the gap, and all God's people said, so I'm not alone. I, I do have some concern that people of faith are the reason that people of faith are wandering away from faith. I, I have that concern, I have that worry. And I worry that there is a unique version of the exile that may be upon us if we don't listen, listen well and confess and close the distance. I do, I have that worry. But I also have this very, very deep, deep-seated conviction and hope that even then, God still has the capacity to say, but now. Yeah, yeah, we could wander into harm's way and some bad things could happen but I don't think God will give up on having a people to call God's very own. And perhaps, perhaps the way we get to that new future is by leaning into the grace of God that doesn't excuse our terrible decisions, our bad behavior, and our terrible tone, but maybe 
It is the grace of God that not only makes us aware of it, but makes us aware that God still chooses us. Okay, tangent over. To use the metaphor and example that we've chosen for today in this entire series, that the God who made you, the God who made us, who made us, who knows our failure and our disobedience and our disloyalty, still calls us up, still calls us to be forgiven, to be loved, to be part of the process whereby God is embodied. I want to play another clip for you. Now, this actually happened to my chosen hometown team. I, I grew up in Dallas for a little while and became a Rangers fan, and I can't seem to, to stop being a Rangers fan. And my friend Tony Bennett, who's also a Rangers fan, we are long-suffering, and it seems like all the historic things happen against the Rangers. <laughs> and sure enough, when this guy gets called uh, to, into his first game, it is against the Texas Rangers. Well, I need three of them. 
coming in to pitch for Tampa Bay, a fellow Texan making his major league debut, Jim Morris. Now it takes a long time, so can I just tell you what happens? It takes a long time. <laughs> he comes up against starting shortstop Royce Clayton for the Texas Rangers. Three pitches, three strikes out of the inning. He would pitch for a couple of years, actually, effectively for the Tampa Bay Rays before retiring <laughs> and going back to coach and to his other way of life. His dad, who didn't support the dream, unbeknownst to him, came to the game. He saw him in the press conference after the game and already having the baseball that was the called third strike. He stood up and gave the ball to his dad, not at all in a way to show him up, but to say, Dad, I made it. It's okay. It's okay. Cool. That's <laughs> so cool. It's almost poetic. I should do a movie about it. <laughs> There's a sense in which each week that we gather around this table, we are receiving the call up. Each week, you hear me say something like this. That we are called to take this bread, taken, blessed, broken, and given. And I hope that we eat so much of it that at some point we start to think, well, I'm, I think I've eaten so much bread, I've become the bread. That's the point. That is taken, blessed, broken, and given. It is true that God has chosen to be embodied by a particular group of people, not to the exclusion of all the other people, but for the inclusion of all the other people. And it is also true that God desires to be manifested, manifested and embodied everywhere, even the places that you're going this week. You are being called up to the biggest of leagues, the brightest of lights, all eyes watching as you and I have opportunity after opportunity to put skin and flesh on the hopeful presence, the wow of God. If you are helping us today, please come down. Now you will notice that we are still taking communion by intention, but if you are uncomfortable doing so, then we have some prepackaged elements that are available to you and they will be offered to every row. You'll also notice that people are taking great pains to make sure that everything's as clean as possible. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing and then give you more directions so you can know how to go about being called up today. So Father, bless these elements and bless this moment. May we discern, see, hear you in ways that we couldn't otherwise. May we see in this extension of grace an opportunity to respond and say yes to this grace in the hopes that we might also be an extension of grace for the world around us. God, our, our best prayer is that we would see what it is that makes all of creation say, wow. The next prayer, God, is that we would somehow be a part of the process whereby all of creation senses and sees you and hears you and is again left at something like, wow. So shape us, bless these elements, and with them, God, may we embody you better than we ever have before. So in a moment, 
you'll be asked, you'll be dismissed by a row to come down front, to come down to one of these people who has a plate of bread. Come with your hands cupped, if you would, because that's how you receive grace. You don't snatch it out of the plate. You receive it like a gift. Receiving that gift. Take that piece of bread. Don't eat it just yet, but dip it into the cup. And when you do dip it into the cup, then take and eat and then find a place to pray. This bread, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This cup, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Now, you don't have to come. If you prefer not to participate, that's fine. All this is is an invitation. If you choose to opt out, it is totally fine. You may ask the question, well, who is eligible to come? All of us who understand our need for grace, all of us, no matter how we've screwed up in the minor leagues, all of us who understand our need for grace are welcome at this table no matter what. Once you have taken, again, I'd ask you to find a place to pray and continue to pray this very specific prayer. Here, let me give it to you today. Here's the prayer. God, how might I be part of the process whereby you are manifested to the world around us? It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way, later he would take the cup, hold it up before them and say, this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, including today, remember me. And remember that you are being called, called up. Now across the sanctuary, if you would, Come by row to receive these gifts of bread and cup. have received one of the prepackaged elements, please go ahead and take now the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Go ahead and take and remain in a posture of prayer.
Heavenly Father, remind us that you have, in fact, for whatever reason, chosen to live and work in and through and with us. That is one of the big surprises in Epiphany. Not just that you show up everywhere, but that you seem to be willing to show up anywhere in and through us. So forgive us, Lord, if we have underappreciated what it means to be called and called up. Forgive us, Lord, if we have played scorekeeper perhaps with ourselves in ways that cause us to opt out of this sanctifying grace. Hear us now as we confess our sins in hope of forgiveness and restoration. And so now, church, if you would, take these moments and confess your sins, trusting in God's willingness and capacity to forgive and restore. Jason and Lisa. May the Almighty God have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness. And by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life. If you would continue in that sweet spirit of prayer in these moments, I just have a few prayers of intercession before handing it over to Pastor Lisa who will share with us some of our kids' prayers on this Kids' Sunday. But would you please join with me in prayer in these moments? And God, we approach you during these moments of prayers of intercession for you to come alongside a few of the people that we love, that God need a tender embrace and healing and touch from you. And God, we ask that for Cheryl Hall, who goes into surgery on Tuesday for a knee replacement. The God, that you would surround her with your love, I'm sure as she and Pete are watching at home now, God, would you take care of her and the team that will surround her over these next days? And God, would you be with her in recovery? God, we are grateful for Pete and Cheryl and ask for your loving care to touch them now. God, we also ask that you would take care of Evelyn Slothauer as she recovers from surgery earlier this week and the removal of her gallbladder. God, would you surround her with your love and with your presence and would you be with Dean, who I saw with us here this morning? as he loves and cares for her. But God, would you touch her whole body for healing and wholeness in this new year and bring her hope and sustain her with grace? God, we ask you to be with the little one in Adeline Guffin, one of our children's greatest sponsors and workers that we have. And God, ask that you would come alongside of this little one. And God, that you would come alongside this family. God, we also ask that you would take care of Karen Martin as she continues to recover from surgery with her fall. That, God, you would surround her with love and you'd be with John as he nurses her and cares for her. God, we ask that you would be with all who have experienced loss. Thinking of our friend Trudy Capero with the loss of her brother Dale, but unable to find a flight back home due to all the cancellations to celebrate his life in a memorial service. Would you be with her? 
Would you be with all who have experienced loss? I might think of the Fanes this week and the loss of their dog. God, I ask that you would be with everyone who've experienced pain, grief, and loss and surround them with your love and close presence. God, we ask that you would be with all who right now have, have COVID or COVID exposure and trying to figure out to navigate all of these difficult times, as Pastor John has said, thread the needle. God, would you give us wisdom, discernment, healing, hope, and health. And God, we ask that you would be with us in all things as we continue in these moments with Pastor Lisa. She leads us in our kids' prayers. Oh, I've got a text. <laughs> Before you do that, let me pray for a couple of notes that I looked when I looked down. My goodness, God, would you, would you take care of our good friend Scott Peterson as he's home from the hospital even now? But God, would you reach to him and heal him by your grace and touch him in your love and be with Katie and their friends and family as he surrounds him in love? And God, would you be with the Orth family as Carrie let Pastor John, and I know this morning that they had a tragic loss of Carrie's cousin who was killed in a bus accident in Costa Rica. And God, that you would surround this whole family in your love and in your mercy and in your presence even now. And now we look forward to hearing what, peace, what Pastor Lisa has gathered for us in these prayers. All right. Well, guys, it has been almost two years since our kids have had kids' prayers. And today, um, we had a little glitch, I guess. I emailed them, and it went to Tamara's junk mail. So anyway, we don't have them on the screen today. So I'm going to read those to you. Our kids pray the sweetest prayers. Um, and I always enjoy sharing those with you. So I want you to hear those today. Dear Lord, hear our prayers. Jesus, help me not to be afraid. I'm afraid of my bad dreams and that there are monsters in my bedroom. I pray that everyone will have a good Christmas celebrating your birth. Jesus, I pray for my grandma who has cancer. Bring healing to her body. Dear Lord Jesus, I miss my grandma and grandpa, and I hope I get to see them soon. Jesus, I pray that I won't forget my solo in the Christmas song. I pray that my little sister won't get nervous when she sings. Heavenly Father, I pray for my neighbors who are getting a divorce. I pray for my uncle who is sick. Help him feel better soon. Dear Jesus, help heal my grandma who has hip and back issues. She is in a lot of pain. Jesus, be close to my grandma who has injuries that need to be healed. Dear Lord, be close to my friend's family who lost a loved one. Jesus, I'm so thankful for your good friends, for good friends and for family. Now pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for our children. I thank you, Lord, for their childlike faith that ushers us in to your presence. I thank you, Lord, for our children who touch our hearts in deep ways. They are such a gift given to us. I pray, Lord, for our children that in this year, 2022, Lord, that 
You will give them eyes to see. Eyes to see you at work all around them, everywhere they go. May they seek opportunities to be your light to those they come in contact with. I pray, Lord, that you will give our children ears to hear, to hear your voice speaking to them in many ways. Lord Jesus, may they hear your voice. May they be drawn close to you. May you grow them in their faith. May they know that you have chosen them, that you have called them by name, and that you have called them to your work. Lord Jesus, may they keep their heart and ears and mind open to all that you have in store for them, for it is good. And now, Lord, as you have taught your disciples to pray, may we pray together using debt and debtors. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.